Hi, this is Stephen Bryant, and I want to welcome you to episode 13 of the RelativityChallenge.com podcast. This is going to be part two of a video series uh, where we're going to look at moving systems. In part one, uh, I introduced you to the key elements of a moving system, which as a reminder are the reference or stationary system, the moving system, and a moving object. In part two, we're going to look at one of two types of coordinate systems inherent with the model of complete and incomplete coordinate systems. In today's episode, we're going to look at an incomplete coordinate system. In part three, we're going to look at a complete coordinate system. And then in part four, we're going to look at the coordinate system that Einstein uses with his model of special relativity. So as a reminder, the stationary or reference system is our background or the ground uh, or road that the bus would travel upon. The moving system is the bus and the person is the object that we put into motion or, or oscillate with respect to the bus. So let me begin today with a definition of an incomplete coordinate system. Basically, an incomplete coordinate system, we put our object in motion and have it oscillate with respect to the moving system. However, its motion is still governed by the reference system. That's the key distinction between a, a, an incomplete coordinate system and a complete coordinate system, which we'll talk about in the next episode. But to get us grounded, I'd like to just remind us of what this looks like when we have our person oscillate and the bus is not in motion. So as a reminder, it takes him to the count of 10 to get to the front and it takes him to the count of 10 to get to the back. Again, his, he's oscillating with respect to the front and the back of the bus, but his motion is governed by the road itself. So for a total, uh, he gets to the front of the bus and to the back for a total of 20. Now, we'll put him in motion. We're going to put the bus in motion as well. In the first example, we're going to have the bus move at a velocity less than our person is going, which should mean that it, while he goes from the rear to the front, it should take him longer than when the bus was stationary. Let's see if that works out to be the case. The bus, the front is moving away, but he's able to catch it, and it took him to the count of 17. Let's see what happens in the other direction when he moves from the front of the bus to the rear of the bus. And because the rear is approaching him, it should take him less time than when he was stationary. And in this case, it took him seven. So if we asked him to do one round trip oscillation, which took him 20 when, he, when the bus wasn't moving, I would suspect that it's gonna take him slightly longer when the bus is in motion. So let's see what that might look like. So in this case, we know it takes him 17 to go to the front. He turns around and he goes for another seven for a total of 24. And what this shows us is that it did take him slightly longer than when it was stationary. And the other thing that this shows us is that there's a long path that he takes and a short path. So when you look at some of the earlier podcasts or listen to some of the earlier podcasts and you hear me talk about a long line and a short line, this is where it come from, comes from. So let's go ahead and see that in, in motion. He walks the length of the long line, hits the front of the bus, and then rocks the length of the short line to get back to the rear of the bus. 
Don't worry about the math associated with this today. I just want you to understand the concepts. You can always go back to the earlier episodes or look at the material on the website to see the math. Now, let's ask a critical question here, and that is, we know that the total distance or the total time is a count of 24 for him to do that round trip oscillation. When he was stationary and he hit the halfway mark, which was at a count of 10 because the total was 20, uh, he was at the front of the bus. So we know that the count here is 24. So let's see where he is when he reaches 12. And I'm going to try and stop it at 12. I may be a count or two off, but let's see if I can, can stop it at 12 and answer that question for us. So not quite on 12, I hit 13, but let's say it's 12. In either case, we're able to answer the question. Where is he when he's walked half of his total distance? Well, we know where he is, we can see it graphically. But the question was, was he at the front of the bus? And here we can graphically see, no, he hasn't made it to the front of the bus yet. And we know he hasn't made it to the front of the bus because it takes a total of 17 to get to the front. However, we do ask, answer the question about where he is uh, at the halfway mark. And we know that the halfway mark because the total was 24 is at 12. And again, I, I stopped it one later. I wasn't able to stop it exactly at uh, 12, but it gives you a, a graphical idea of how this works. Now I'd like to ask a different question. And that question is, what happens if the bus is moving at the exact same speed as our person? Can he do what we've asked him to do? And the first thing we're going to do is we're going to put him at the front of the bus and ask him to go to the back of the bus. Let's see if he's able to do what we've asked him to do. So in this case, yes, it, it took him less time. He was able to get to the back of the bus. That's great. In fact, let's make the bus go faster than our person can go, and we're going to ask him the exact same question. Thing. Can he get to the front of the bus or to the back of the bus? And yes, he can get to the to the back of the bus. So in either case, whether regardless of the speed of the bus, whether it's going less than, equal, or greater than the velocity of our little yellow man, he is able to get from the front to the rear of the bus. But is the reverse true? Is he able, when the bus is matching his speed? Is he able to get to the front of the bus? Let's find out. Actually, he makes no progress at all towards the front of the bus. He stayed essentially parallel to the bus on the journey. They were both traveling at the same speed. This is what we would expect. How about if the bus is going faster than our person? Again, now you can see he's losing a little bit of ground. So in this case, the bus is actually pulling away from him. So if the bus is moving at the same velocity or a greater velocity than our little yellow man, he is not able to do what we've asked him to do. He's not able to perform that oscillation. So there is no long line and no short line because he's never able to make it to the front Hence, he's never able to make a long line. And because he can't make that long line, he can't do the short line because we asked him to go to the front of the bus first. So that is one key distinction I wanted to uh, point out. So let me just hit some highlights for you that I'd like you to take away uh, from today's discussion. Number one is that the velocity of the bus, it can go faster than the person. However, if it does go faster than the person, 
The person cannot do what we've asked them to do, which was to oscillate. So for that oscillation to occur, the bus must go less than the velocity of our person. That's a key point we need to remember. Number two is that there is a long line and a short line, and that represents the total distance of that the man uh, traverses. When he reaches half of that total distance, again, if you remember the counter was 24, when he reached half of that, 12, he was not at the front of the bus. He was halfway through with his journey, however, that's a true statement, but he was not at the front of the bus. So that's another key point that I want us to remember. We're going to come back and revisit those points when we talk about special relativity in part four. But for today, I think that that covers kind of the key behaviors for an incomplete coordinate system. Please join me next time when we have part three and we talk about a complete coordinate system. This video was copyright by Stephen Bryant and Relativity Challenge 2008. I hope that you'll join me next time for part three. Until then, be well.